Well, this morning, um, we are doing things a little bit different. We'll, uh, we'll do the three things later on in the service. But this morning, uh, we're going to do a, our community story. And I have a new friend that I want to invite up to uh, do the community story with. And so I'm going to invite him up. Gerald, please come. That mic right there will be yours. <clears throat> well, welcome. Thank you. Uh, I don't know if he looks familiar to you at all. Does he look familiar to you at all? Why would you look familiar to people here? I have a, maybe a haircut similar to somebody else. Yeah, that would be... <laughs> He's not talking about me. Uh, your brother goes here. He does. And his wife. Randy and, and Kim. Yeah. So you're the brother of uh, Randy, and it's great to, to have you here, Gerald. And Randy reached out to me and said, hey, my brother's going to be in town. It may be good if you had him share a little bit about what he does and what he's up to. And, and you live way back in, in Manitoba. In the center of Canada. In the center of Canada. See, we're very... We're very it's, it's difficult because the East thinks we're West and the West thinks we're East. Okay. <laughs> so, um, apart from where you live, you're involved in a ministry that I, I really feel it'd be great to, to have it highlighted and to talk about. So, why don't you just spend some time uh, sharing a little bit about this ministry that you're involved with? Well, thank you so much. And I want to begin by thanking those of you in the church here that have been praying for Ukraine. And I know that some of you prayed for, for Bev and I, my wife and I, when we were in Ukraine in October, and we just, we just thank you for that. It's, uh, we felt God's hand at work, unquestionably, in the things that we're doing. We, I, I became involved uh, in Ukraine many years ago, and I was teaching, uh, teaching at agriculture universities in Ukraine and was doing government trips and things, and became involved in 2013 in teaching, well, I got a call from a camp director who said, Gerald, would you, would you be willing to teach some people how to teach canoeing? And uh, I said, well, I you know, haven't done that for a while, but I used to do it when I was younger. And I said, I'd, I'd consider it. And it turned out he was asking me to go to a boys' camp in Ukraine to do that. Uh, so that led to the involvement uh, with a great team of people uh, in the ministry in Ukraine. It's called Christian Camping International Ukraine. We we basically train camp leaders how to do camp. Okay. Uh, so directors, sports directors, and the camps can be everything from a, what we would call a VBS, uh, that churches would operate to residential camps. And it's a whole range, about 600 camps across Ukraine. We work in six different countries uh, in the former Soviet Union and uh, basically do that in all of those places. And camping, just like here, is a very significant part of developing leaders but in proclaiming Christ's love and Christ's word, uh, a study was done recently, and, and camping was one of the most effective ways of reaching the hearts of children and youth. And I, I'm sure that as you hear testimonies here in your church, yeah. uh, you know, kids talk about how camp was a big part of them right. coming to know the Lord and growing in the Lord. Same in Ukraine. And, and it, you know, when you, when you visit camps in Ukraine, you actually feel very at home. Other than the language... 
Um, much of the rest is very much like a camp anywhere in British Columbia or wherever it might be in, in across, across Canada. How many times have you been to Ukraine? I've probably been in Ukraine at least 20 times. All right. Um, haven't been, the last time we were there is in October. Before that, uh, we had to take a break because of COVID and those kinds of things. Uh, so 2019, but we've been there, been there many times yeah. and the Lord has really enabled us uh, to have many, many good brothers and sisters in the Lord over there. That's fantastic. So um, in the fact that uh, you've still been able to go over, you've still been able to connect, and these camps, you said there's like 600 camps across in Ukraine. Yes. In Ukraine. What, what has taken place since the war has been, and which, speaking of which, the, 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 uh, unfortunately, the anniversary date of the war starting is uh, this time, is uh, two days. Uh, a little bit more than that, February 24th. 24th, yeah. So just, just over 10 days, 10 days from now. Yeah. And, and nobody expected no. that this war was going to go on for a year, let alone a week. Right. Uh, you know, the predictions were a couple of days and Russia, and Russia would win. And that hasn't happened. No. So how have you seen camps change? Uh, camps have... Camps have changed, but they haven't. Okay. I would say that camps are still operating... Uh, in whatever way they can. Uh, a, a major factor, uh, what we do a lot is advise camps on how can they comply with, just like here, various government regulations, food safety, all that stuff. Uh, one of the highest priorities, one of the highest requirements for a camp in Ukraine right now is to have a bomb shelter. Okay. Uh, to be able to have a place where the children can shelter uh, when the air raid sirens go off, because they do. And it, it's more actually on an app than it is on an audible siren that they see. You know, it pops up on your phone. But camps are operating, in some cases, as refugee camps. So we had a camp that you, you'll see a picture of a group up on the screen as it uh, goes through. The camp got a phone call saying, we've got 60 orphans uh, on a bus. Can we come to your camp? Um, we need a place to go. And they said, no, you can't. Uh, like, we're a, we're, a camp, we're a winter camp. We don't have, or summer camp, we don't have winter facilities. We don't have heat. And they said, well, we have 60 orphans. Can we, can we come? And they said, no, like, it doesn't work. We can't do this. And they said, we have 60 orphans. Can we come? And they said, okay. Uh, they had $1,000. That was it. Wow. Uh, and uh, since then, they have winterized their facilities. They've put in generators. They've, uh, and this has happened all across Ukraine, wherever possible. They have become shelters, they've become places where people can go. Maybe they stay for a day. Maybe they stay for a week. Maybe they stay a lot longer. But they can go there and get food and shelter and wash their clothes and take right. a shower and all those kinds of things. The camps are also operating as camps. So they're taking in uh, kids this, over the Christmas season. Camps were full and busy uh, with giving kids a place to retreat to. The, the most active camps are in the west of Ukraine, so in the Carpathian Mountains, where it's relatively safe. But there are camps even in the occupied Russian territories where our, our brothers and sisters, the churches, are going into Russian-occupied territories, crossing the war zone line, sneaking in, operating camps, a lot of them VBS, uh, proclaiming the gospel, and then hopefully getting back out. But some of the camps are in occupied territory. That's, that's amazing. A um, couple more things. Uh, one, I just want you to tell briefly what you told me this morning about the, the, the one church. Um, you told me about the, the size of the church. Yes. So just 
just maybe related this that. This is in the city of Kharkiv, okay. which is in the east of Ukraine and was a major target for the Russians to go after and continues to be under attack. Uh, there's a church there, a large Baptist church. Uh, they would have had an average attendance of at least 1,300 people in the church, two services, and um, they were, the city was under huge attack. Um, over the course of the early days of the war, 85% of the congregation left. So they went to Western Ukraine, they went to Europe, they went to various places around the world, and they said, like, what are we gonna do now? Like, if, if, if 85% of your church left, what would you do? Um, and they, they were faced with that. Uh, they said, well, we're here. Uh, we've got a building. We can help people. So they started bringing in people and opening the doors. People could sleep in the basement. Uh, people could be fed. People could get clothes and various things. Uh, the average attendance of that church uh, now is over 1,500 people per service. Uh, and a, a brother, one of our staff, was actually speaking in that church this morning. Uh, he traveled to Kharkiv. The city was under attack. I was praying for him during the night. Uh, he said that that church, 80% uh, of the people had never been to a church before. Mm. And he was able to preach there this morning and uh, just was thankful for the prayers of many on his behalf. Well, as you can see, uh, you've got lots of information. Uh, you have lots to tell, and we don't have a lot of time to do that. But uh, you're going to be out in the foyer afterwards. Um, that being said, what do you need from us? I need you to pray. The, the little thing that's up on the screen right now, there's a QR code for those of us that are my age. is this black and white squiggly thing. Um, if you click on that with your phone and scan it, you will be able to download a 24-page booklet that tells you a lot more about this ministry. And I would encourage you to do that. If you don't do that, you can talk to me in the hall and I can show you how to do it. The base foundational thing that I'm looking for is people that are willing to pray. I, my goal is to have 500 people that are willing to pray for, for the, the trip every day that I'm gone. We will be sending a daily mission update. And what I would like to do is to invite you to come along with me on a mission trip. Uh, you may not feel comfortable going to Ukraine in person, but I'd like to take you along. I'd like to take you along as a prayer team member and uh, be able to share with you to, for you to see God's hand at work. Yeah, we need money, but we need prayer. We need people that are willing to support the people there. You know, the people, when we, when we came there in the fall, in, in October, they looked at us and said, you are so brave for coming to Ukraine. <laughs> And we looked at them and said, no, we're not even close. These are people that drove through occupied territory that had been without power for months and months and, and were just, just overjoyed at being able to be used of the Lord uh, to serve him. And we'd like to take you along on that. So that's, that's my request. Appreciate that very much. Hey, before you step down, let me pray. Thank you. Um, Lord, I thank you that as today we've been reminded of... Uh, of a country that is war-torn, that uh, today is facing um, what they need to face, what they have to face when it comes to, to the war in Ukraine. Lord, we, we praise you for the work that you do, because you are, you are always doing work. And I thank you for the men and women who are there, who are serving, who are loving, who are seeking you to do your will. Thank you for those that are are discovering you um, 
for the first time. And yes, the war is not good, but it is bringing them to you. And we, we thank you for that. We pray for safety for those in Ukraine who live there, who are in great need, um, that they, they will know your, your, your protection around them. And we pray for the teams that are, that are going, not just uh, Gerald's team, but those uh, throughout the world who are going into Ukraine to help, to give, to support, to love, to share the love of Jesus. Uh, may your protection be upon them as well. And Lord, we do pray that there would be uh, an overcoming of, in this war, that it would, it would end, it would cease, it would come to a completion, and that your name would be glorified, Lord, even in the midst of this darkness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. One, one last thing. The yes. church in Kharkiv that I was talking yes. about, their name is New Life Church. <laughs> Hey, Scott. Hey, Alana. How's it going? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Alana, and I'm part of the staff team here at church, and we are here to talk to you about brew life this morning. Uh, and we have about this much to say and about this much time to do it in, so we thought to keep ourselves on task, because one of us is a talker. Um, we would set ourselves a brew life timer. So John Jansen, are you here this morning? You stand up. John is one of our baristas in brew life, and he's going to um, race against the clock a little bit. How long does it take you to make a latte, John? Let's aim for slower. So what we were thinking was we would have John making lattes while we're talking, and at the end... However many he can take, this is to try and keep us concise. Um, we will be giving away some lattes. We're going to rock, paper, scissors for who's buying. Um, and, uh, right? Yep. So, yep. John, off you go. And let's, let's share a little bit about brew life. All right. Sounds really great. He's <laughs> off and running. Uh, so, for brew life, uh, or I should talk about uh, FH. So, FH is food for the hungry. And... Food for the Hungry, we'll talk about how it's can, brew life is connected, but Food for the Hungry, their mission is to globally end poverty, and they want to do it one community at a time. And so what they do is they take a community, they have a, a church or a group of churches that will commit to that community and helping them come out of poverty, and, and over 10 years graduate them out of that. So we'll talk a little bit more, a little bit deeper about brew, or about uh, FH in the coming weeks when we send our, our youth off on the missions trip to Guatemala. So, so I'm going to kind of end it there. Good. Okay. Um, so what does Food for the Hungry have to do with brew life? Well, back in 2016, we started our partnership with FH. Um, and at that time, we were serving, I would say, above average church coffee in the foyer. Um, but we were starting the evening service with the seven. And about two years into that partnership in Guatemala, uh, the idea came, what if we had this cafe? It would create a little more opportunity for community. Guatemala is known for having amazing coffee beans. Is there something that we could do here? It sparked a little idea of a partnership. And so in 2018, we were doing our second missions trip down to a cool. And Jason Horn, who is our local coffee roaster, and Henry Wickerink was on the trip as well. He was our operations guy at the time. They were going down and they said, you know what, we're going to find a farm that farms beans and we're going to see if we can create a partnership. And so they did. 
Um, we've got a picture of them checking out beans here, Jason on the farm, and uh, they, they started sourcing beans. It's just outside of a cool. Um, I think there's a good chance there is people in our village that are actually working on this farm. And so we sourced the beans, Jason started roasting them for us, and as much as possible, there's always the chance of supply issues, but as much as possible, um, all of our single origin blend is coming from a cool, and as well as going into our dark roast, which is a bit of a blend, sorry, single origin and blend do not go in the same sentence. Nope. Anyways, you get the gist. Um, so as much as possible, we are sourcing our beans from a cool. And um, yeah, so 2018, we ripped out what used to be a library, moved the library down the hall, and we turned it into Brew Life Cafe, and we've been making you lattes and other beverages on Sunday mornings ever since. However, that's kind of where brew life came from, but it's really not what it's all about. It's not just about feeding our need for coffee on a Sunday morning. So Scott, tell us a little more about why. Sure. Uh, COVID gave us a chance to kind of uh, reevaluate brew life and maybe bring it a little bit more into an understanding of a direction and a, and a theme. And so Andrew McDonald started, it was his task to, to take a look at this, and he came up with branding it Tove. And Tove means good. And so we have this part that says, uh, good coffee is good for all. And we take the verse from Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is Tove. The Lord is good. And so it's our desire that what we do is that, um, that, that everything we do in that cafe is, is for the good. And we want it and recognize it as a process. We want it to be good for the farmer. We want it to be good for the roaster. And we want it to be good for the consumer. And ultimately what that means is that, that what we receive, the, the finances, the funds that we receive there, we're able then to give that back into the community. And, and so all of our funds go back into the community and it helps with clean drinking water, with sanitation, with nutrition, and with, with education. And, uh, and so I think it's, it's, a, it's a really neat way for us to get a good cup of coffee and as well to support our, our community down in Guatemala. It's good. So yeah, we've got the farmer, the roaster, the new life for drinking, and as Scott says, then everything goes back down to a cool. And what that has looked like so far, we sell all our drinks for $2 each, and about 50 cents of that has been going back down from each drink sold, has been going back down into the community. And so I just wanted to throw up a couple numbers for you. What has that looked like over the past couple of years? Well, our first year, it was about 1,800, dropped down to 1,200. 2021, 1,300, that's actually a good thing because that was coming out of COVID. There's less people. We were a little nervous about serving coffee or that, all that kind of stuff. So not too shabby. Um, but that's what we've been doing. And we've been thinking for a while, how can we make a better impact down there? And as we've been doing that, as we all know, this fun little thing called inflation happened. Um, and we are not immune to inflation and it has hit us as well. And so um, cost of beans has gone up and as such, we are, we are having to raise our prices as well. And so we wanted to tell you a bit about what that's looking like. So coming up March, start of March, I guess it's the fifth is the first Sunday of March. That's when, when prices are gonna go up. 
It's not about inflation today, though. It really is about how are we making a difference in a, a cool and in increasing our impact. So let me show you the new menu. We're going to split some things up a little bit. Don't know if you can see that. First thing is we're only going to have one size. Most of you are using the 12 ounce, so we're only going to have one size now. Um, lattes have gone up a bit. Espresso is still two bucks. I don't know if anybody actually gets those, but hey. If you like a straight up espresso, there it is. And then we've still got our specialty teas, hot chocolate, steamed milk for the kids, um, a bit of a variety of sizes. I know we haven't had bags of beans to sell in a really long time. We have found some bags again, they're on their way. So by the beginning of March, we should be able to sell you bags of beans for you to take home and make your own drinks as well. Um, for you that don't get lattes or anything at, at the coffee bar, there's room for you too. We do have the same coffee in the drip. Um, carafes, and we would love if you felt like you wanted to support the mission there and just make a donation. There's a little cash box in the coffee cart. You can also do it at the coffee bar. And we're bringing back the coffee cards. I don't have a picture of it, but we have a little punch card you can buy for whatever your drink of choice is. By 10, the 11th one is on us. And so if we do, well, not if, because we are, when we do this, <laughs> Just so you can know, what difference are we making? Well, this year, as I said, costs have gone up. And so we actually, if we kept things as they are right now, we would only be sending $962 down this year to a coal. And we know that we want to do better than that. Um, raising the prices should put us back on par with years past at about $1,300 for this year. Next year, we could do $2,700 or more, depending how much we sell. I'm hoping that now that we have beans, we'll be able to sell more of those, and we'll just be able to give back. Akul has three years left in our partnership, and then they graduate. And so every little bit that we can give is going to help them. Once they've graduated, we'll come up with something new to send that to, but we'll always be using that uh, to support somebody. Hey, can I tell you to buckle up? Um, we've got, uh, got a lot to say and a short amount of time to say it. Uh, first of all, I, wanna, I want to let you know that Easter is coming. You already know that. Easter is coming. We did a sunrise service last year, and we did baptisms during that sunrise service. We did eight, uh, seven baptisms, I think, is what we did. And I, we're going to do sunrise service again. And this is a great opportunity for going, hey, I'm been thinking about baptism. It's kind of a neat time to do it. If you're interested in being baptized, doesn't matter where you're at in your journey with Jesus, come and talk to me and I will be happy to uh, see how we can make that happen. All right? So I just want to throw that out there. <sighs> well, we're back on an invitation to a journey and I wanted to start off with a story of a journey. In 2015, I received a phone call from a buddy. And uh, when he phoned me, I can remember to this day where I was. I remember what I was doing when he gave me a phone call. And he phoned me and asked me if I was interested on going, going on an adventure with him. I actually knew what he was talking about right away. Because the year before, and the year before that, and the year before that, he kept calling me and saying, Scott, do you want to go on a canoe trip to northern Saskatchewan? Eight days. And... Uh, when he asked me this time, it, I thought that maybe the way would be clear for me to be able to go on this canoe trip. So I said, I'm really interested. And I, like I said, I've got to talk to Raina. I'll get back to you. So Raina says, how can you not? you got to do it this year. So I, I said, called up my friend Jack. I said, yep, Jack, I'm in. So 
Jack and I and four other people piled into a vehicle. We drove to northern Saskatchewan because that's the way you do it. And uh, we got into a plane, a float plane, and they flew us to the, uh, to the beginning of Foster River and set down the plane, took the canoes out, took our packs out, and it was be wasn't before long, the plane was taxiing and off it went. And there we were, out in the wilderness, all six of us. And it had been a while since I'd been out in the wilderness. And it wasn't long before you could not hear the plane. And the only thing you could hear was us talking, packing the canoes, and the wilderness. And the adventure began. <clears throat> well, we, we took off paddling. And before that, Jack had decided who was going to be paired with who. And I was paired with Mike. Mike was a, a, a much, he was much more experienced than I was. I probably, out of the six people, I was the least experienced person when it came to canoeing. And uh, I knew Mike because he was part of our church. And so Mike took the back of the canoe, the stern, and I was in the bow. And there's a good reason for that. Uh, he was in control and not me. So there's a few things that needed to happen before I could really take part in this adventure. So let me list them to, for you. First of all, I needed to say yes. Even though I did not know what I was saying yes to, I had to say yes. Secondly, it, I needed to invest. The agreement to go, the yes was free. But I had to invest in this trip. It cost me something. It cost me time. It cost me finances. Um, it cost me cell brains and my cells. Anyways, they would cost me. Um, I needed to go there. I couldn't just sit on my couch in my living room and go, oh, that was a good trip. I had to go. I needed to get in the canoe. Uh, once they drop you off, you realize that that canoe, you are dependent upon that canoe getting you home. And so I had to get in that canoe. And then the other thing is I had to paddle. Mike was not going to do all the paddling. Uh, I had to paddle. I had to do work with Mike. And so this, this message that I want to share this morning, it, has a, it goes on the line of doing what Jesus did. And I want to talk about God's will. It's something in which I think today we often want to know what God's will is. There's a lot of books written about it. There's been a lot of messages uh, preached on it. And I know that in the time that I have, I do not have enough time to go deep. But I do know that you sit here today and you pray and you seek. You pray and ask God about who you should marry, if you're going to get married. Talk, you pray to him about an opportunity for a change in your job, a promotion. Should you move to, get to a new job or should you stay where you're at? What university you should pursue or what career you should head into? When should you retire? We have a lot of major decisions in our lives that we come to God and we ask him and we say, God, we want your will. So I want to talk about God's will. 
and we'll see where we go with it. So first of all, how do we know God's will? And I want to say that we start with saying yes to the invitation to the journey to be part of his life, to be part of his world, to be part of what he is doing. We need to stop inviting God to be part of our life, and we need to acknowledge that he is asking us to be part of his life. He's already part of our life. Do you know why? Because you're sitting here sucking air. And if you weren't breathing, then, then, you're not, then he's not part in the sense of being on this earth. One point in time, we will stop breathing, and it's our desire that we're going to be absent from the body and present with him. But the very fact that you are breathing is that God is part of your life. But we need to recognize that we need to say, God, I want to be part of your life. And I think when I stop and I think about the prayers that I pray and how I pray, many times my prayers are really, I think, trying to bend the universe to allow for my desires to happen. I'm praying for God to accomplish my will. So I pray this way, oh Lord, please make it so that I get this job. Please God, put it on his or her heart that they would ask me out. Lord, help me to pass this test. God, change my son's behavior. Lord, change that person's attitude at work. Does that sound familiar to you? And you're going, well, what's wrong with that? Doesn't God say ask? Yep, he does. He does say ask. Is God not, doesn't, does God find those things unimportant? No, they are very important. But I do believe there's another way of asking. And that asking is, is that he's inviting us to get into his canoe. He's inviting us to say, Lord, I want you to be in control. And so maybe it is that I'm asking God to say, Lord, my son, I've got issues with him. Where are you in the midst of that? What are you doing in the midst of that? Or my daughter, God, what are you doing in the midst of my, with my daughter? Or that person at work, where do I fit with this person at work and the attitude that I get from them? Where are you in that? See, Jesus, he found himself saying, God, I want to be part of your will. And so in this journey, we have talked about being with Jesus. We have talked about becoming like Jesus. And he invites us to do what he did. So what did Jesus do when it came to the will of the Father? And I want to look at three different verses this morning to hopefully help us understand that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John, uh, the, the uh, book of John, the book of John. And we'll, we'll start in chapter 6, John 6, 38. In John 6, 38, we read these words. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of of him who sent me. I have not come to do my will, but I've, done, I've come to do the will 
of him who sent me. He's come to do the Father's will. And so the first thing we see is that Jesus begins with the correct posture. He begins with the correct position. Just like when I got in that canoe with Mike, I got into the front of the canoe. That was my position. Because Mike knew how to control that canoe. And he knew what was coming up, and he knew the rapids, and he, and he knew what we needed to do. He knew the strokes. And even if I wasn't quite getting the strokes right, the control of that canoe was going to happen with Mike, first and foremost. And Jesus himself said, Jesus himself said, I am here not to do my will, but to do the Father's will. So why are you on this earth? Why are you here? Is your mind occupied with God's will? Or is it occupied with meeting your desires, your wishes, and your happiness? Pausing there. Can you say, as Jesus said, I am here not to do my will, but the will of of the Father. I'm on this earth to accomplish God's will. Just turn back a chapter in chapter 5 of John. And in chapter 5, in verse 17, Jesus says this. And he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to religious leaders. And it says, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my Father is always at work in this very, to this very day, and I too am working. You mentioned that, Phil, in your, in your prayer, that God is working. He is at work, and he is. He's working right now. This very moment, God is at work all around the world with 8 billion people. Every single person, he is at work. And he is at work right now in your life. He's at work at new life. And Jesus is saying that I in working too. And really what he's saying is God is at work and I want to be part of what God is doing because I'm doing God's will. Dallas Willard, I've, I've mentioned this before, he has said this way, God is always up to something. It is our job to understand what it is and to be part of it. So Dallas didn't get that from himself. He got that from this very verse, that God is always up to something. I don't know about you, but that excites me. I want to know what he's up to. I want to be part of what God is up to. Being in God's will comes when we seek to be part of it each day. It's not just the big picture God's will. That's important. The big picture of God's will is important. But I say what is more important is the smaller part of God's will, the everyday part of God's will. When you wake up in the morning, and he did, he woke us up in the morning. He woke you up this morning and said, come and be part of my day. Come and be part of what I'm doing. And when I practice daily recognizing that God is up to something and I want to seek his will and I want to make his will be known, it's going to be much easier for me to understand the more significant issues in my life where I'm seeking God's will. That daily practice of saying, God, what are you up to today? And I just want to be part of it. 
John 15 or John 5, 19. Jesus says this. He gave him this answer. Verily, verily, I, chase, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus says, I, I'm only doing what I see the father doing. My first thought when I look at this, I say, I want that. I want to be able to say, I am doing what I see the Father doing. That's why I slow down. That's why I make the commitment to slow down, to sit down, and to say, God, here I am right now, this morning. I'm here, and I know you're with me, and you're in my presence. And God, I'm, I just want to say thank you for being here, and I start there because I want to see what the Father is doing, and I believe that it's possible. So the starting point in being able to do what the Father, Abba Father, is doing is admitting that I cannot do it. And that's what Jesus says. I can do nothing. I can do nothing unless I see the Father doing it, unless I recognize the Father doing it. And then Jesus says 10 chapters later in 15, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That part where he says, abide in me, abide in me, be connected to me. I can do nothing apart from him. I came across this quote, I don't know, can you see it all right? Yeah, maybe not. I love it. Let me, let me read this quote to you because it, I think it gets to the heart of what I'm trying to say. I'm deeply comforted in remembering that I popped into a story where I am not playing the leading role. I am an extra in the background of a single scene in a narrative that is grander and more complex and more redemptive than I could ever fathom. This is a story about God. He is the lead at the center of every scene. I am the Lord's servant. And at that, as it turns out, is more than enough for me. He is lead. And I'm just popped into a scene in this time continuum of this world. And so did you. I'm just a player in the background. When I can place myself in that position, it helps me to begin to understand God's will. Because I'm not trying to bend the universe for my will to take place. I'm simply saying, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? <clears throat> I'm moving a little too fast. 
Um, coming back to my canoe trip, my surviving that canoe trip down the Foster River only happened because I really did submit myself to Mike and Jack. You know, Mike invited me into the canoe and to take part in that journey, and he invited me to paddle with him. We came up to uh, a set of rapids, and we started to look at them and to figure out if we were going to go down those rapids. And Mike looked at me, and he said, we're not going down those rapids. And I said, what? The other two canoes were shooting, going to shoot down the rapid. And he said, we're not going down those rapids. He says, we're going to portage. Anybody portage here before? Yeah, you know, that's why they made rivers. And, and Mike says, we're not going down. He said, you can't do it. Kind of hurt my pride a little bit. And he says, I value my life. And we're not going down. And we portaged around actually several rapids that other canoes went down because... I couldn't do it. And I'm standing here today because I listened to Mike, and Mike was in control. And I, I did. I tried to bend him to do a rapid. Oh, come on, we can do it. We can do it. And he kind of, he's, you know, because you kind of get close to the rapid and we're looking, and he's thinking, he's thinking, and he, he goes, no, we are not going to shoot down that rapid. And that is allowing him to be in control. And that's what it means to allow God to be in control. So let me rip through this here. How do we discern God's will in the greater part? It's first this, belief in the goodness of God. Again, I think it was something that somebody talked about over there. It is. It's believing in the goodness of God. We say God is good and you say, yeah, that wasn't very good. Uh, God is good. Uh, do you believe that? Okay, I, I want to believe that. I want to believe you believe that, but I, sometimes it's just hard to believe that God is good. Elise is going to talk. I'm not going to steal your thunder, but 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 there was a there was last year was a year, wasn't it? Yeah, and was it's hard to say God is good in the midst of that all the time. But I like what Ruth Barton has to say. She says this, we may believe in the goodness of God generally, but when it comes to the kind of belief in God's goodness that would enable me to be wide open to whatever God's will might be, well, that's a whole different story. Isn't that true? That is, that is so true. And so there's this need to trust God that his intentions towards me are deeply good. Just like, Jack, just like Mike's intentions about us shooting down that rapid, they were deeply good. He knew that I couldn't do it, and I needed to trust him that he knew what he was talking about. And so when I'm looking at the bigger picture, I first need to look at and believe that God's, God's intentions in my life are good. And that gives me interior freedom to trust him to believe in him. Secondly is this, believing that love is our primary calling. 
believing that love is our primary calling. Why is this important? Because decisions we make, we need to come back to that. We need to come back to love is the primary calling that God has in our life. We will make lists of pros and cons. We will, we will have details about where I will live or who I will marry, what job I should take. And all that is important, but we need to do it with questions. Questions that, that say which choice, whatever choice I'm going to make, how is it going to enable me to keep following God into his love? What would love call for me to do in this situation. When I'm trying to make a decision, I'm saying, what, where does love fit in? Because God has called us to love him and to love others. And so love has to be this primary uh, importance in making decisions for him or understanding the decisions he has in my life. And so I ask these questions, what would love do? Sometimes love makes it very uncomfortable. Sometimes choosing love makes it very hard. All right, third one. Belief that God does communicate to us through the Holy Spirit. Again, Ruth Haley Barton says, the Spirit is given to help us answer the call to love in ways that are consistent with the fallout of our own personality gifts calling within our particular situation. We are called to live love in the context of our own destiny and freely and authentically and wholeheartedly as Christ did. That's the great part. God is going to take who we are, how he's created us, and from that, we're going to be able to do his will, expressing his love according to how he has created us. And so that's why Jesus says, I must go away. Why must I go away? So that the helper will come. Because it's through that that I understand what God desires and wants. Okay, I need to beach my canoe or say land the plane. So I'm going to do that. As I told you, I didn't have enough time, but I do want to give you this practice. I want to say, first of all, each day, Knowing the larger picture of God's will comes when we each day practice seeking God's will. That's why I start off my day and I say, God, thank you for waking me up today and inviting me to be part of your day. That's why I say to him, I, I, I surrender my, my mind, my will, and my body to you because you are in control. And it is there I start to say, God, what are you up to today? And I desire to be part of it. So I practice believing that God in the goodness of God. And I want to have in my life every day that I'm looking that love is the primary call in my life. And I'm believing that God is going to show me and teach me through the voice of the Holy Spirit. On the larger side of things, the practice that I would give you, if you're trying to find the bigger the bigger or the larger decision of what is God's will, I would say give yourself time. Whenever we rush in decisions, I know in my own life, I always come away with some regrets. So give, myself, give yourself time when you're trying to make a decision. Pray. Pray with an open heart. Pray with an honest heart. Pray with a heart that said, God, 
I am asking, not that I am asking you to do this, but Lord, what are you up to in my life? Journal. Write. Write your story. It might be a prayer that you're writing, but journal, because journaling gives you the ability to go back and reread. Reread what you wrote in the past days, weeks, and sometimes months. See if there's anything that the Holy Spirit will reveal of any pattern or underlining theme. And then last is community. Invite others into the conversation of your heart. Ask those probing questions. When I talk about making this decision, God, or what I say to my friends, when I'm, trying, when I'm, when I'm, I'm making this decision, how does, it, how does it feel for you? What stirs in your heart? Do you sense anything that I'm not being honest about? Do you feel that I'm holding on to something that's preventing me to hearing from God? I'm inviting others into my world because I believe that God uses community to speak to us. God's will is huge. Understanding God's will is huge. The topic is huge. But I think and I believe it starts every day. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. And it's not a mistake that any of us are here to interact, to hear, to be part of whatever you are up to, Lord, today. I thank you that you want, Lord, for us to be part of your world. I pray for those that are facing major decisions and they're seeking you, Lord. I ask God that they are able to seek you with a surrendered heart. Believing that whatever you direct them to, that you are a good God. And it is for the expression of your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.